I was not ready to get up. <laughs> Last night, I got to go to the movie with a bunch of you, the I Can Only Imagine. How many of you have seen that movie so far? I highly recommend it without reservation, but be prepared. It is a emo- you'll be an emotional wreck when you get done with this. So um, it actually is a, a great setup for the sermon because a big chunk of this movie is a path of suffering. And then it ends with this really, on this really glorious high note, just so you know. So I got home, and I'm all wound up from the movie, and then I, I'm, it's on my mind, so I can't sleep. I'm up a lot of the night thinking about this, and finally I fall asleep, and my alarm goes up. I get out of bed, and my knees ache, and I'm tired, and I look out the window, and it's gloomy. And then I realize i got to come here today, and we're going to talk one more time about this path of suffering and I'm like, I don't know if I really am up for that, if I really want to talk to you all about that or not. But um, it got me wondering if, um, if Jesus, at any point in this journey that he took, felt like he didn't want to go on with it. If he had this feeling, I just don't want to get up this morning. I, I don't want to go face what I have to face. And since he was fully human, I have to imagine that he did have days like that. But that he went anyway and prayed the prayer, God, your will be done, not mine. And he went on, thank goodness, to follow this path to walk it. And we're going to look at that in some more detail today. Basically the same story we just heard, but not the storybook version, the actual version. So if you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, we're going to read it from Luke, or actually Luke 23. Luke 23, starting with verse 26. Luke twenty three twenty six. As we prepare to hear this again, let me pray this prayer for you. The Lord be with you. As the soldiers led him away, They seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us into the hills, cover us up. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers sneered at him, and they said, He saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice that was placed above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? 
Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. First impressions on this passage, for me, this is no way to treat a king. A king should not have to walk a road marked with suffering. A king should get red carpet. Wouldn't that be more suitable? You know, we always think of red carpet as acknowledging status and style. Uh, Red carpet is about some recognition and honor. Of course, we're most familiar with the red carpet that goes along with the Oscars. Did you know that there's 16,000 square feet of red carpet at the Oscars? It takes them two days to lay it down. And then everybody who parades on this gets welcomed. This is what we think of when we think of red carpet, like the award ceremonies or some gala festivities, maybe some reception for dignitaries. It seems to me that for Jesus, the king of the Jews, a red carpet might have been much more fitting than this road marked with suffering. The red carpets have always signaled somebody special. Got a little history for you about how the red carpet started. It was first rolled out in Greece for King Agamemnon. He was coming back from fighting the Trojan War and his wife wanted to honor him, so they rolled out this crimson carpet for him to walk on. And when the king saw it, he thought he should not walk on it because he recognized that he himself was a mere mortal and the red carpet should be reserved for the gods. He was afraid. He was too normal, too ordinary to walk on the red carpet. And since that day, pretty much any time you put down a red carpet, everybody thinks it's for those who are special, not for the normal folks. And red was associated with this honor because red dye was the most difficult to make and the most expensive And so if you wanted to really honor someone, you would give them red carpet. Red carpet, it seems to me, would have been perfect for King Jesus. But he didn't get any. He got this way marked with suffering. A ray, as we've been looking at for many weeks now, bleak, heartache, sorrow, anguish, pain, trouble. This is the way that he got We might call it the way of suffering. You know, if you go to Jerusalem today, you can still walk on the same way that Jesus walked. 
It's actually got, uh, usually known by its Latin name, which is Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. And you can mark the same journey that he took and mark its progress as he followed this pathway to suffering. Along this path, he experienced mockery and beatings and the crown of thorns, a false robe, a purple robe to, to mock him as king. Um, he was despised and rejected as scriptures had predicted. It was a road that was definitely marked with suffering. And as I'm thinking about this, again, I think this is no way to treat a king. Which got me thinking, actually, about how kings are treated in the Bible. Which took me back to 1 Samuel. Do you remember what happened in 1 Samuel? God's people had been living in the promised land for some time. They had been ruled by judges. The judges had kind of mixed results. Sometimes they were good, sometimes not so good. But in between every judge there was trouble. And when the people of God would cry out, then God would send a judge and he would deliver them and rescue them from this trouble. That's kind of the way things were working. And the people looked around at all the other nations around them and they recognized they weren't being ruled by judges. They were all being ruled by kings. And they actually were overtaken with a little bit of fear. They were concerned that they were at risk because they weren't a real kingdom. They didn't have a real king. So they cried out to Samuel, We want a king! Samuel, upon hearing this request, immediately reminded them, you don't need an earthly king because you already have a king. God is your king. God has promised to always be your king and to walk with you. This did not dissuade them. They cried out, we want a king. So Samuel warned them and he said, you know what? If you get an earthly king, it will not go well for you. Your earthly king is going to send your sons into battle and he's going to take your daughters as servants and he's going to tax you. A king will not be good for you. And they cried out, we want a king. And so finally, Samuel relents and God says to him, give them a king. And this is actually what they said to him. We are determined to have a king over us so that we may be like all the other nations so that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. That's what they wanted. A king who was going to protect them. A king who was going to watch over them and fight their battles. That's what they want. So Samuel gave in when God said, listen to them and give them a king, and they got a king. When I think about this request, it doesn't seem that extreme. I mean, it seems pretty reasonable, doesn't it? We live in a world where there is trouble, where it is not safe. Wouldn't we like somebody who could come and make it safe for us? Someone who could come and protect us? And keep us secure. We're people who like security, especially in a world where there's terrorism and school shootings, where there's violence. We want a king. We want someone to protect us. Their request doesn't seem that unrealistic. I'd like a king who would keep us from all kinds of trouble, if you want to know. A king who would keep food on the tables. A king who would keep the boogeyman from breaking in at night. A king who would keep reckless drivers from running into our cars. And a king who would keep cancer cells from coming into our bodies. Wouldn't we like a king like that? Give us a king to keep us safe. 
Well, we know by looking at the way kings were treated in the Bible, it didn't really work out so well for them. Samuel's predictions all came true, and they actually did get led into war, and their sons lost their lives, and their daughters became servants, and they were taxed, and they did this as long as they could, but finally the other countries pressed in upon them, and the kingdom is divided, and then the kingdom is conquered, and the people are hauled off into exile, and their king was not able to protect them. By the time we get to the day of Jesus, God's people are still longing for a king. They want someone to come and keep them safe to protect them. They want someone to come with power and maybe this king could throw out the Romans. Maybe this king could establish them once again as a great kingdom, as a mighty power, someone to be reckoned with. They're longing for a king to come. When Jesus shows up, they start to wonder, is this the king? He says some amazing things. He performs some mighty acts. He has incredible power. Maybe Jesus is the king. But instead of getting a king who's going to throw out the Romans, they get a king who walks this path marked with suffering. That's what they get. They get King Jesus. And by this time in the story, Jesus has already been betrayed by his trusted disciples. He's been denied by one in the inner circle. All the rest of the disciples have fled and scattered. He's all alone now. He's got no followers. By the time he's walking this final path to the cross, he's been shamed by the high priest. He's been ridiculed by everyone in authority. He's been discredited. He's been condemned at a trial that was a a sham trial, but he was condemned to die. He was forced to wear this crown, this robe. He was beaten, spit upon, mocked. He was forced to carry his own cross as long as he could down this way of suffering, there is no red carpet for King Jesus. The people hoped for a king who would fight their battles and keep them safe. Instead, they got this, a road marked with suffering. And this road ended with a crucifixion. So we go from bad to worse. We go from walking this way of suffering to walking the way of the cross. Now everyone who watched the crucifixion would have known that the cross was an obscenity. The cross was a curse. It was the most vile way for you could die. Not just physically vile, but for the people of God, it was a curse. Listen to what God's law said about this. This is from Deuteronomy 21. If someone has committed a sin deserving death and he is put to death by hanging on a tree, you must not leave his body hanging on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury it the same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. The New Testament helps us understand exactly the significance of this in Galatians chapter 3. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He took the curse so that we could be blessed. So the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, leads to the way of the cross. There's no way around this. There had to be a curse. And that curse came on Jesus full force. 
So we want a king to keep us safe and take care of us and make all things right. And what we get is a king who's cursed. That's what we get. Now, of course, we know, don't we, that no earthly king could really protect us from all bad. No earthly king could ever protect us from all trouble, from all pain, from all sorrow. But wouldn't we expect King Jesus to do that? Now, this way of the cross and this way of suffering leads to uh, a, a remarkable thing, an unbelievable, completely unexpected thing. It actually leads to the way of glory. Listen to this beautiful passage. This is Philippians chapter 2. This is a new way, a new reality that's opened up because Jesus was willing to walk this way of suffering and walk the way of the cross. Philippians 2. Your mind should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of our basic Bible study tools is whenever you see therefore, you ask, what's that therefore? Okay? It's always referring to something right before it. So when he says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, that refers to what was right before that. Because Jesus became obedient to death, even death on the cross, therefore, God exalted him. And that results in glory. The way of suffering and the way of the cross leads to this glory. To the day when every knee will bow, on heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what is it that makes him Lord? His obedience to walk this way. Jesus' humble obedience fulfills God's plan to come into this world to make everything right, to fix all that is broken, to set right everything. And that leads to every tongue confessing and every knee bowing. And that's a glorious thing. That's better than red carpet. There is one kind of phone call that I get from time to time that always affects me deeply. It stops me right in my tracks no matter what's going on. And it no matter what time of the day or night, it's the call that comes that tells me that somebody has died. Even if this call is not completely unexpected, it always hits me hard. And my first reaction to this kind of call is always sadness. And sometimes I can hear the sadness in the voice of the family member who's calling me, and that makes me sad. 
I can feel their pain and their grief and their sorrow. And the next thing that happens to me is the whole world becomes foggy and fuzzy because of this pain. Things are not clear. I can have doubt and uncertainty, especially about what to do now. The world is different now. Somebody who was important, somebody who was loved, is gone now. And that makes a gap. And I don't know what to do with that. And then this makes me have a whole bunch of questions. I I wonder, now what? What am I supposed to say? What can I do? What does the family need? How will this grief impact us? How will this loss affect us? So I received a call like this a couple weeks ago, right in the middle of a staff meeting. And the caller was very emotional, which also makes me emotional. And I fumbled through the call, and when I hung up, I thought, oh, I blew it. I thought, I actually don't remember what I said, but I, I was thinking that whatever it was, it was dumb. And I think the only thing that actually came out after making some arrangements was something like, I'm sorry, and God loves you. And I couldn't think of anything else to say. So as we've been walking this road marked with suffering, I've been paying more attention to these crosses. Now I know we have crosses all over the place. Crosses are important. We always have crosses up front in some form. We've got crosses on our, our letterhead. We've got, I've got three little crosses on my desk that I, I look at every day. Crosses are important, but I've been looking at them differently now this season. They seem to have more weight, they, more gravity, more significance. There's something important about crosses. It seems like they're pointing to a different kind of reality. As we've walked this road marked with suffering, it seems like these crosses are saying something really important. Something I need to see and remember when I'm sad or when I'm in pain, when I'm disappointed, when life is bleak, when I'm grieving. I need the truth of these crosses. And the truth is this. God has a vision for this world. And that vision is a world where everything is perfect. And in order to get to that vision, he was willing to send his very own son to come and to walk a way of suffering and to walk the way of the cross so that his glory could be revealed to all of us. The glory of life everlasting so that we could be his sons and daughters so that we could be washed clean and made whole and made new this is a glorious thing to transform us as his people this is the vision that god has and this way shows me the extent he was willing to go how far he would go how much love he has to set us right to make us right On the cross, God deals with the greatest problem we ever face as people. He deals with the problem of sin once and for all, and then he offers it in his love and his grace so that we could have forgiveness to be his people. This is the good news 
of the way marked with suffering and the way of the cross. There is forgiveness in Jesus, and that's the first step to setting everything right that's broken. Listen to this good news from Colossians 1. God was pleased to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. That's a glorious thing, a glorious reconciliation. He would break down every barrier. And as certain as the, cro- the, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom, that curtain that kept people from approaching God, from going into the Holy of Holies, so certainly did the cross break the barrier between us and God so that we can become his children and walk with him forever. And I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I imagine that when we finally do see Jesus face to face, there's going to be a red carpet. And the red carpet is for us. And it was made possible by Jesus walking this way. And that's going to be a really glorious day. So I want you to dwell there for just a few moments and reflect on that. We've got a little song we'd like you to listen to. The title of this song is The Via Dolorosa. You think about the way the path of suffering and the path of the cross leads to the path of glory.
you join me in prayer? Lord God, we come before you today and we give you thanks for your love. I thank you, God, for the way that you reveal that love to us in so many ways, but the most profound way that you've revealed it is by sending your very own Son for us. And so we offer you our praise and thanks, and we ask that you'll help us to continue to recognize the way this truth, this reality changes everything about this world and how we live. And so guide us into that by your Spirit. And we will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.